Welcome and thank you for listening to River Valley Church Fresno's podcast. For more information on us, please log in to our website, rvcfresno.com, or you can find us at the App Store, River Valley Church Fresno. Well, hey everyone, thank you for joining us at our online service today. Uh, we are finishing up a series that we've called A Call to Prayer. Uh, and as we've been talking about the different parts of Scripture, and certainly uh, we've only hit on a very few parts of Scripture that call us to pray and specific things to pray for, today we're talking about prayer for revival. Uh, we know that God moves in answer to prayer, and today we're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 through 14 team that I believe every Christian should have underlined. You should memorize it. You should meditate on it because it really shows us the heart of God and how he moves to those who humbly come and seek him. And here we read in second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 12. It says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land." You know, this is one of the great calls to pray in the Bible. And this happened after Solomon had uh, dedicated the temple. He had prayed to the Lord uh, over some very specific things that he was wanting God to do in response to the people coming to the temple and praying, in response to all the different scenarios they would find themselves in, including uh, walking away from God and sinning and even being cast into you know, a foreign land because of their disobedience to God. And this answer from God is really in response to what Solomon had prayed. Uh, he prayed that the Lord would, would be gracious to the people as they uh, came, that he would hear their prayers, uh, he would forgive their sin as they came to the temple, and even as they would pray towards the where the temple was set up, even as we see uh, Daniel in a foreign land just you know years later, uh, as he prayed and he sought God facing towards Jerusalem where the temple was. You know, Solomon foresaw a time where the nation would turn their back on God. They would forget about God. They would become wise in their own eyes. And Solomon recognized that sin was the source of their nation's sickness and that God was the source of their healing and their revival. Uh, their sin would lead to consequences because of their disobedience to God, and God would use those consequences to get their attention, to draw them back to him. You know, God is, good, is very good at that. He's very good at getting our attention, right? Uh, allowing us to experience certain situations that are painful and hard to wake us up, perhaps, to coming back to that path of walking with the Lord. And that's what happened uh, in Israel's history moving forward from this moment. You know, we get to that spot as they did. Lord, I can handle this on my own. I'm wise enough to just live my life the way I want to live it. I figured it out. 
Uh, Sometimes even regarding areas that God says, I want you to avoid this. I want you to stay away from this. This is sinful. This will bring destruction to you. You know, oftentimes we have this mindset, oh God, you're trying to ruin my fun or that's so, you know, last century. God, you need to get with the times, you know. Uh, But man, sin always has consequences and it always pulls us away from God. We find ourselves as they did as a nation in a spot that they didn't want to be in. The consequences of their disobedience, it created, uh, as he talked about, no rain from heaven. He talked about uh, the the devouring of their land uh, by locusts. He talked about sending pestilences in their, you know, in their midst that would literally bug them to death to get their attention. God allowed these consequences of their sin and rebellion to bring them back to a place of calling upon the Lord. And here we have this call to pray. This passage uh, is, is what has been called um, the, the condition for revival among us. This passage has always been encouraging when we look at maybe the landscape of our nation right now. We see all that's going on in our society. We say, God, here's this opportunity for us to see you bring revival in our midst, right? Uh, revival, we would say, is what our nation needs. To come back to a relationship with God was so much wrong in our society. We've talked about this throughout this prayer series. You could just flip on your TV or look at your social media and you just see that we are in a state of, of mess right now as a, as a nation, right? Uh, we're at, at hopefully maybe the tail end, maybe we're in the middle or beginning of this pandemic, but we are certainly in a spot that we've never been in as a country. Uh, we see, based on you know statistics, crime is way up, not only in the city that we live in here in Fresno, but all across our land. We certainly know that there's political chaos that's all around us. There's racial divide. Uh, we're desperate as a, as a nation for God to come and to bring healing. How does that happen? Well, God lays it out for the nation of Israel. This is what Israel needed to do. And I think it's a prescription for us as a church, what's needed in our day. Instead of pointing to all the people around them, well, this is what's wrong. It's because of this political party. And it's because of these people over here and what they're doing. God draws their attention to their own lives. And I think that that is so vital in this current time that we're in to say, God, let's start with us, right? Instead of pointing out the faults of those in charge, God says, let's start with us. The church will turn the world right side up. The church will have the ability to bring real change, lasting change in our nation but it's not going to be through slick campaigns, you know what I mean? And, and you know, cutting edge production or, or even a political movement that's started by the church. Uh, as we said, man, go out and vote. Be a responsible citizen of this nation if, if you have the ability to vote. But we're not looking for a political leader to bring the change that we want to see. It's only God who can bring that kind of change, right? It won't happen through Hollywood getting their stuff together and, you know, all the immorality and filth that they produce. If they would just put a stop to that, if we would just have a political leader that would, you know, uh, follow through with their campaign promises, that's not how change comes. Change comes in our world and always has It always comes when the church is living sold out for Jesus Christ. 
where the church is on a mission with God to bring the good news of Jesus to the hurting and broken of our land. It brings healing. It brings restoration. It brings brings change in our society that is needed in this time. And it brings salvation to those who are lost and need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, my hope and prayer as it has been with our team here at RVC and with other pastors in our community is that the body of Christ will emerge out of this pandemic time literally changed. A different way of going about church in our world with a, with, a, with a genuine fire that is burning within our own hearts for the Lord and for what he wants to do. We would say that that's revival. You read back at the different moments in time in our country's history where we've seen and read about, you know, I mean, like sweeping revival that happens in the church where they get away from just playing church and going to church and actually being the church where their lives are being sold out to live for Jesus Christ and to seek to glorify him. You look at the great awakenings of the past. Man, that happens when the church is just all in with Jesus and no longer playing around. Some of the very things that here uh, God told Solomon were the conditions for revival. Our goal is not to get back to church as normal. Our hope and our goal would be that we get back to living lives that are closer to God and that glorify him. You know, Solomon's correct. They did wander. They did feel the effects of turning away from God. And God's promise to the nation is still how God responds to those who humbly come before him, right? God would allow them to experience drought. God would allow them to experience leanness as the uh, locusts would come and devour the land. God would allow them to experience the pestilences that would, would show up in their land and would literally cause their skin to crawl because it just was, you know, not what God intended to get their attention, right? People get to the end of their rope. That's what happened to Israel. I think that that's what happens to the church as well. We hit rock bottom, right? Uh, God gets our attention. You see the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He had no thought about going back to his father's house until all of a sudden he found himself in want. And that's when he came to his senses. See, that's what happens. Uh, You know, you, you finally get to a spot where you look around like, this is crazy. We shouldn't be seeing this happening in our world today. This nation needs to be different. It needs to change. And God says, it does. And it starts with my people. Lord, we're here at that kind of moment. There's things that are bugging us. So we hear God's call to pray, and he shares these conditions for genuine revival. When we, when we pray for our nation, when you pray for your country, I want you to know that we're supposed to assume responsibility. It says, if my people would humble themselves, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. It, it begins with us saying, Lord, we have sinned. We have, we have failed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We've lost our saltiness, if you would. Jesus said if, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's, no, not, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot. You think about that today. You go, man, there's so much wrong in our world right now. And, and, and we've got to begin with us. God, we have, we have failed. We have sinned. We're no longer... We're no longer being the salt of the earth. We've lost our saltiness. 
We're living for things that are temporary and no longer passionate for the things that are eternal. You think about Daniel. Daniel, you know, Daniel, there's two guys in the Bible that don't have any recorded sins. It doesn't mean they were sinless. Only Jesus Christ was sinless. But Joseph and Daniel, the only two people in the Bible where we have no record of in scripture that they sinned. They were godly dudes. And Daniel was one that Solomon prayed for, saying, Solomon said, and if our people are in a foreign land and they pray towards this, this city where the temple is, Jerusalem. And there's Daniel years later and he's there as he read through the scriptures of you know, the prophet Jeremiah. He knew they were coming to the end of their, their national timeout, if you would, of 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And he prayed in Daniel chapter nine and he says, Lord, we have sinned. He assumes responsibility. He's a godly dude, but he says, God, we, he didn't say, Lord, your people are a giant mess. I'm praying for them. It's Lord, we, we have sinned. God, we have not walked in your paths. See, that's the beginning parts of revival, right? Turning from pride and, and self-reliance. That's, that's how it, it starts. Uh, it begins with us, as he said, if my people who are called by my name, not those who are outside, but God always starts with us. So here's the conditions for revival. Number one is this, is that we need to recognize our need for God. He says, if they will humble themselves and pray. How desperate we are for God in our life, right? You think that this is like self-evident for them as, as they were a nation that was, you know, uh, that was, was broken free out of captivity of Egypt and all the miracles throughout, you know, crossing the Red Sea and the miracles of keeping them sustained and alive for those 40 years in the, in the desert and, and all the miracles of them getting into their homeland, the land of Israel, you would think it would be, it would be like, you know, um, self-evident for us as well. But it's so crazy how we move from a, a place of, God, I'm so needy for you, and then we get self-reliance. It's like, okay, God, I got it from here. If you and I want to experience the kind of revival that not only changes the landscape of our lives, the landscape of our family, the landscape of our city, our churches, our nation, it's got to start with you and I recognizing how desperate we are for God. Um, it, we often fall into that rut of being self-reliant. We live independent of God where we're not seeking his will, right? We're self-reliant. And then we get a reminder, Oh man, I, I need God in my life. I need God in my life. We might even be saying our prayers. We might even be doing church as, you know, you know, just like the routine of church, but we're living life independent. We didn't start like this. I certainly didn't when I was a, a young man, when I gave my life to Jesus or, or, you know, as I look through scripture now, when Jesus, when he found me and he saved me and made me alive, Man, I, I was a mess, and I needed God. And I was at church on Wednesday night because I needed to get with God's people to worship him and study the Bible. Uh, I was there on Sunday morning. I wanted to serve with my time. I, I knew I needed God and God's people in my life. And, and yet, you know, as, as things start getting cleaned up and addictions start going away and you start to, you know, kind of stand on your own two feet, it's almost like you get to that spot where, well, Lord, I don't actually need you as much. And maybe your devotional life isn't as, as strong as it once was. Your desire to be with God's people is kind of like, it's optional. I don't really need to be with God's people. Gosh, I could, I could do this online or I could just listen to a podcast, you know. 
uh, and, and, and not you know, stay uh, in a life and a path where God says, I want you to gather with my people and to, and to open God's word with my people. We get to that spot where we no longer recognize our need for God. And, and God's no longer number one. That's really the issue, isn't it? Right? You got to recognize your need, my need, our need for God. He says you humble yourself and pray. True prayer recognizes the answer is not in ourself, but the answer lies with God. We, we didn't have, and we, we never have had, and we don't have all the answers, but God does, right? The landscape of our nation, your family, your personal life, right? We don't have the answers. Lord, there's a drought. Lord, there's something missing. There's a pestilence that's bugging me. We can't fix it. Politicians can't. We need God's blessing. And when we recognize our need for God, we turn from pride and self-reliance and we turn to God in prayer. You know, after this prayer that, that Solomon prayed and then the promise that God gave him, there were many kings in Israel and Judah's history that actually um, came to this spot of recognizing their need. They, they lived very independent lives. They lived the way they wanted to live. They lived in disobedience to God. God would send prophets to warn them and they continued continued that path of disobedience, and yet uh, some of them came to their senses. They lived wicked lives. They lived self-determined lives. Manasseh was one of those uh, wicked kings. In fact, one of the most wicked kings that the land of Israel had ever known, but he humbled himself. He actually prayed to God, and he came to the end of his resources, and he recognized his need for God, and God brought him forgiveness and restoration. It's just amazing how God responds to the humble prayers of people. Conditions for revival, man, we're desperate for God. God, God's remedy is begin with you, begin with us, his people, the church. God, you have the answers. Uh, also, we recognize his greatness when we need, have recognize our need for God and how desperate we are for him. His greatness, and so we humble ourselves with attitudes of wanting, God, I want what you want. I no longer want to call the shots in my life. See, that's what it means to live in dependence upon God. That's what it means to recognize uh, our, our need for God, to humble ourselves and pray, is that God, I'm not gonna live my life where I'm calling the shots anymore. God, I want your best and I want your will. So that's the first, um, I guess you would say, or it's, it's one attitude, but it's one of the facets of, of conditions for revival. The second one is this, is that we see a desire for the presence of God. He says, if you'll humble yourselves and pray, and number two, you'll seek my face. There's a strong desire for the presence of God. When revival comes in, in a person's life, in a church's life, in the nation of Israel's life, there's a desire not for religion, not for um, you know the perception of church, but like a, a real desire and hunger for the very presence of God in your life. You know there's a need for revival when you and I are no longer hungry for God's presence. We're content. We're even a little apathetic too. But desiring the presence of God, it means, Lord, we're desperate for your presence. I think about the letter that Jesus wrote to uh, the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. 
Ephesus was a model church. Ephesus would be doing conferences for churches like us to go and say, well, what are you doing? You guys have everything together. You're moral. You are organized. You guys have the externals all in place. This seems like a model church that everyone ought to model their church after. You know what I mean? They've got the book sales. They've got the conferences. And everybody's looking to them because they have achieved it. They've found it. They had the secret sauce, if you would, of being like a really great church. They were busy, they were admired, but they forgot about one thing. They left their first love. Jesus says, I have, I have this against you. You have left your first love. And I think sometimes we think about this in this way, that they didn't love God anymore. He doesn't say that. Is it, it wasn't that they didn't love God, is that they didn't love God supremely. And that's where you and I get in, that's where we are as a, perhaps as a nation, as a church, is that, man, have we left our first love? We've got to have that desire for the presence of God, right? To seek his face. You could tell it was a church from the outside, but they had no passion for him. I think of what David said in Psalm 63, verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Here's David out in the wilderness somewhere, and his physical scene was perhaps something that was going on inside of him. He had a, he had a, a spiritual drought There was something in him that just says, God, I'm thirsting for you. I'm in this parched place in my life. And God, nothing will satisfy me like your presence. That's what God gets our attention. He allows the droughts to come and we say, Lord, I'm done chasing after this. I'm done searching after that. I'm done pointing at all those people as if they're the problem. God, I've got to humble myself and pray. God, I've got to seek your face and desire your presence in a more desperate kind of a way, right? Lord, I'm desperate for you. God, I have an internal thirst for you. I want to be close to you. Revival times. You look in the past when, man, when there's a a real genuine revival in a person's life, in a church's life, in a city or nation's life, it's just amazing this, this, you know, they're kind of done with Christianity as norm. And there's a genuine sense of, I want God's presence. There's something beautiful that's come out of those movements where worship was authentic and genuine and real, not seen as like a warm up to the sermon or as optional. Or in our day, my, my fear of my friends is that we're living in a time and day where we, we're look, we're like Goldilocks. You know what I mean? Like, well, this worship's not hot enough for me. This worship's too cold. Oh, this worship's just right. I don't know if we're talking about worship of the one true God desiring his presence. We're talking about idolatry of worship. The idolatry of the feeling and experience, whether God's a part of it or not. When there's a genuine revival happening in our hearts and lives, we humble ourselves. We pray the conditions for revival. We desire the presence of God. We choose to seek his face right? His presence more than his provision in our lives. That's what it means to seek his face. It's him that we need. It's him that we should long for. And revival comes when we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face. God, I'm all in 
with following your heart. I want to be on your path. God, I want your will. God, I want your presence. See, that's, a, that's definitely a condition for revival. We say, Lord, I look at the landscape of this land and all these people, this you know, nation's going to hell in a handbasket and this election's coming up and churches are turning their back on the truth of God's word. And he's like, hold up. Let's start with you. If my people will humble themselves and pray, and they will seek my face, and here's the third condition, and they will turn from their wicked ways. Number three is we desire a desire for Christ-likeness, where you're just, instead of going like, well, you know what, I'm, I'm like above average in, in, in you know, how I live my life. I know people are a lot worse than me. But man, to say, God, I don't want to get stuck I don't want to get stuck on this road to sanctification simply because I feel like, man, I, I feel like I'm got, you know, my life is getting pretty cleaned up. It's, Lord, I desire to be more and more like you, and I need to turn from my wicked ways. That means, my friends, that we get serious about sin. I'm concerned when I get to a place as Gordon Hall the Christian, not Gordon the pastor, but Gordon the Christian, when I'm okay with tolerating certain sins in my life, because I'd think that there may be, you know, kind of like, well, of course there's greater than and less than type of sins. Some have worse consequences than others, right? When I tolerate sin without an internal protest saying, but God, I don't want this in my life. That's when I know I'm in trouble. That's when we know we're in trouble as a church. When we are not desiring Christ-likeness in our life. We tolerate sin without an internal protest. God, please give me strength. God, I want to get free from this. If we're comfy sinning as a lifestyle, we're in danger at the least, and at the worst, perhaps we don't really know him. If what God's word says is out of bounds and sinful, And we're comfortable living that lifestyle out because, gee, it's the 21st century. And, and, you know, God needs to get with the times. You know what I mean? I mean, we live in a different kind of world now, Lord. I mean, can you, I guess, go a little easier on some of the things you called sin 2,000 years ago? If we get comfy with that, man, we are are friggin' in trouble. We, we, we have lost our ability to be the salt and the light when you and I don't continue to fight for a holy life. Not perfect, but Lord, I don't want to tolerate this stuff in my life. I want to, I want to desire Christ's likeness. So that's a condition for revival. That means that we're moving on the right path to have a repentant heart, to be aware of our personal sin and to turn from it, not excuse it. Well, I'm not as bad as what's-his-face. That may be true. But this isn't a call for you and I to look at the world and go, oh, look how terrible the world is. They're such sinners. Or even looking at other Christians and go, man, I can't believe what they do at that other church. Do you know what goes on over there? Do you know what those people do? Right? It's a call for you and I to look in the mirror, the mirror of God's word, and let it show us areas that God wants to bring change in our lives. And then to repent and to confess our sin. You know, to confess literally means to say the same thing that God says. That's what the word confess means, to say the same thing. It means that we say, God, your word says this is sinful and wrong for my life. 
I confess that that's true and I want you to help me and I want to change and I want to turn away from this. No matter how long this journey takes, God, I want to be free from this. So that's what it means to desire Christ like this. You're never going to achieve perfection. No one's going to be perfect. But the fact that you and I are okay with just tolerating things in our life that we know are, you know, just things that sent Jesus to the cross. I think that's when we know we're in a bad spot. A condition for revival is we desire to live a Christ-like life, asking God to search our hearts as David did, as he longed to be on that path to everlasting life. Translation, he wanted to live a life that was blazing on fire for his relationship with God and nothing else would get in the way, right? Compromise, worldliness. This is something that we need to be aware of as a church family, right? Can we tell the difference anymore? Your pre-Christian life and your post-Christian life. I don't mean like you're done with your Christian life, but I mean, you know, can you see a difference in your Instagram posts before you were a Christian and now that you're a follower of Jesus? Is there anything different, right? Do you talk different? Do you spend different? You know, do you value things differently? Do you live in a different way? Do you party in a different way? You know what I mean? Those are things that we got to wrestle with and say, Lord, am I... My desire to to reach the world, have I allowed my life to just be so compromised that no one can even tell the difference if I'm a follower of Jesus or not? We've lost our saltiness. We've lost our ability to be a light. It's such a dim flicker. And the Lord says, I want to bring revival so I can bring change to the landscape of your life, your family, the city, your church, and this country that we live in. In John, 1 John 2, John says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father, or you do not have the love of the Father in you. Literally, what John said was, stop loving the world. That's what he was saying at the beginning of this verse. Stop loving the world. Deal with our sins, materialism, selfishness, our idols, our image, our self-image, right? Our pride, our, our pride in our race, our pride in our face, as Spurgeon used to say, our pride in our place, all these things that give us pride, repent of it. Our apathy, we're not living, we're not living for things that have eternal value, but just the temporary things of this life. You know, Paul told the church in Rome, Romans 13, he said, this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Why would Paul say wake up? Because the church has been asleep far too long. Cast off the dirty deeds of your life. Think about an area of your life that the Lord's been saying, I want you to surrender this. It is a stinky, filthy garment that you and I are to take off like it's a filthy garment and say, God, I don't want to live in a way that dishonors you. God, I want to live a life that pleases you. I want to live a life where he said, the shining armor of right living. It's time to wake up. And if we would see this kind of change in our lives, the landscape of our families or our nation, man, we've got to follow this prescription, if you would right? The conditions for revival begins with us. It's a call to a lifestyle repentance. 
to, when we find refreshing, you know, presence and forgiveness of God in our lives again, right? It's not just turning our hearts to God, seeking his face, it's turning our lives to God as well, right? Turning from our wicked ways. I'm such a sinner. You know, when I, when I share messes like this, I hope you know, uh, man, I spend a lot of time praying to the Lord. God, I'm such a failure. I'm such a sinner. And I am such a sinner. I I know I sin. I recognize my sin. And I am so grateful for God's grace, something we talked about last Sunday. The greatest thing that we find is that God doesn't isn't repelled by sinners. He's repelled by prideful sinners, right? But humble sinners. He bends his ear. He says, here's what the promise is. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, will seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. He bends his ear to the humble prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what the man said in the gospel of Luke, didn't he? He said he wouldn't even lift up his eyes. Jesus talked about this humble man who came to pray and he was sitting next to her far away from a man who was so filled with pride. Man, God listens to the prayer of the humble. He says, I'll hear from heaven. He says, I will forgive their sin, right? And I will heal their land. You know, for Israel, the promise was that they would have a healing spiritually. They would have a healing physically as well. And they, they, as a nation, would be able to live in their land in peace and security once again. The same God who promised them, however, promises to respond to the humble ones who will humble themselves and pray, who will, uh, you know, see their need for God, who will you know, confess their sin to God, who will turn from their wicked ways and seek his face, man, God will respond. The conditions for revival. Uh, this, is, this is my hope for you, is that we say, God, I want it. I want to see change. Do you feel the drought? Do you feel the, the lack in your life right now as you look around our nation? We certainly see that the, the, the land has been devoured. Do you feel that, that pestilence maybe in your life? Certainly we see it in our nation, man. This week, my friend, man, put into practice this call to prayer. Don't point in others' directions uh, for the problems you see, the people in your life, the people in this country. Man, start with yourself. That's what God calls you and I to do, to assume responsibility and say, God, I will be one that humbles myself. I will be one that prays, seeks your face, and turns from my wicked ways. And get our lives to a place where we are on a path towards revival once again. We used to say back in the 80s, oh, that person's on fire for the Lord. That's a great description of a man or woman, young or old, who's just passionate for the Lord and wants to be in a place where God would use them. And watch when that happens to our church, when that happens to your life, when it happens to our community, watch how God will use that man or woman or that church who's walking on that path to revival. This week, I want you to pray with me. God, we just want to confess that we have lost our saltiness. We have lost our ability to be the light of the world. And God, we want you to revive that so that we might be a part of bringing real change to our world, real change to our nation, and certainly our community, right? We want to get back to being salt and light. This is a call to pray for revival. 
pray that God would revive you, me, our church, our churches, that we might bring about massive change in our nation today. You know, I think about this, this God that we serve who's so willing to allow humbled sinners to come before him. You know, this, this really, I guess, condition for revival is really how you and I are to live our lives, to be in a place where we're constantly saying, God, I want to repent of this. God, I want to seek your face. God, I want to turn from my wickedness. God, I want to humble myself always and pray. Because not only that's how we're supposed to live our lives as followers of Jesus, but that's how we began our life following Jesus. If you say today, man, I want God to be my God. I want him to be my savior. I want my sins forgiven. How does that happen? Man, you follow the same recipe, don't you? You humble yourself and you pray. You say, God, I recognize recognize that I'm a sinner. God, I realize that I've broken your law. I, I recognize Jesus. You went to the cross as Jesus hung on the cross. He took your sin. He took my sin and he exchanged all of his righteousness so that we might be made right with God. You realize that Jesus not only died for you, but you welcome into your life. You receive him as Lord and Savior. You simply pray a humble prayer. There's no magical words, but God, I want you to come into my life. God, I want you to forgive me of my sin. God, I want you to help me to live for you all the days of my life. God, thank you for your love. God, help me to follow you. A simple prayer like that, my friend, and God is not looking for magical words. He's looking for you to have a repentant heart, meaning you're willing to turn from your life now and you're willing to turn to him and ask him to forgive you. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today, if you prayed a prayer, you got on your knees or you bowed your head and said, God, come into my life, we wanna send you some things that will help you. Maybe you have found Jesus or he's found you more appropriately over the last month or two or year and you don't even know where to start in a relationship with God, reach out to us. We'd love to help you with some tools, get you a Bible so that you can have a, a, a walk with God that is growing and thriving. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. We'll be here next week and I hope to see you here. God bless.